And welcome back, everyone, to the Redefine RVA Coaches and Coffee podcast. Today, we had a special guest. We talked about programming, coaching, the evolution of the strength coach, especially with regards to athletic populations. Um, we went through Coach Dave Marmon's Eight Principles of Coaching, and we had a great conversation, and we really enjoyed it, and we hope you guys too. So without further ado, here we go. All right, uh, special guest today, David Marmon. I met Dave, what, like 12, 10, 12 years ago as my coach. But uh, Dave, why don't you go and tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So like Ben said, uh, I'm a strength conditioning coach. I've worked in the industry since 1999. Um, started off in the college sector. Um, as an undergraduate, I, uh, I was a college football player, and then I got heavily involved in the strength conditioning program at, at Auburn University. So I worked with the Olympic sport side of the house and the football side of the house as well. And, uh, you know, funny story, I knew, I knew what I wanted to do professionally, like the first day of college when they gave us our pads and they told us, all right, put your stuff in your locker and go to the weight room and you'll meet your strength coach. <laughs> and I was like, strength coach, what's that? I'm like, oh, this guy that handles all your like, you know, physical training and whatnot. And I was like, that sounds pretty cool. So I go and I meet this dude and he's this big jacked up guy. And, and I remember introducing myself and I asked him, I said, do they pay you to do this? And he said, yeah. And I was like, cool, <laughs> sign me up. This is what I want to do. So um, wow. I, I think it just appealed to me. I loved like kind of being behind the scenes and kind of being on more of a bro level with all the athletes as opposed to being like a sport coach where you kind of have to be more of like, you know, the political figure in terms of like representing the face of the program. You know, I'm just kind of like a workhorse mm -hmm. behind the scenes and just get to grind with the both the male and female athletes. And I think that just really appealed to me because I feel like that was such a huge part of my development as an athlete was, you know, lacking in talent, but just having a lot of will and seeing drastic improvements from a lot of hard work and, and advice from some really um, well-versed seasoned um, coaches. So, um, mm -hmm. so yeah, so I volunteered as an undergrad at Auburn and then I interned at University of Miami, Florida with their football strength conditioning program. And that was in the summer of 2000. Um, that was a really cool experience. It was the first time I'd ever flown on an airplane internship. So I had to pay for all my own housing, all my own food. So I was like this broke intern living off of like free metric shakes and, and, and protein bars and stuff like that. But just what an amazing experience to get to um, work with some of the best athletes in the world. That, that Even to this day, I would say some of those guys are some of the best athletes in the world that I've ever seen just the things they were able to do physically and their commitment level that they had towards their team and their sport was uh, second to none. That was at, um, um, at Miami you're talking about? At Miami, Florida, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I finished up there and um, went to be a graduate assistant at Georgia Southern University okay. and got my master's degree paid for, got a lot of great experience coaching athletes, worked with pretty much every sport there, which was great to be exposed to sports that I'd never played before, been around. Um, got my first experience like interacting with like sports medicine staff, um, working with uh, female athletes, working with sport coaches. Um, so it was, you know, kind of a baptism by fire, but one that uh, certainly prepared me for my first full-time gig, which was with Ben at uh, the College of William & Mary. Actually, that was, you were my second time there. 
our first time there was like Graham Albert and oh, uh, Brennan oh. Tom Thomas and all those guys. Oh, really? So really? yeah. So my first tour was uh, first full time job was at the College of Women Mary. Uh, it was just me and John Sauer, and we basically were in charge of all the sports there. And you know how many sports Women Mary has? I want to say it's like twenty two or something ridiculous like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, really cool experience. I think I made like fifteen thousand dollars a year was my salary, and that was with a master's degree. So I was broke. So all I really did was work. You know, mm-hmm. I just coached all the time and wrote programming and, you know, wrote a policy and procedures manual and all that good stuff. Um, so a lot of good experience. But then after, you know, a little over a year of doing that and being broke, you're like, all right, what else is out there? I'm ready to move on. So mm-hmm. I got an opportunity to go to the University of Iowa. And University of Iowa, I worked with the, the baseball program, uh, the women's soccer program, field hockey and softball. Um, and then I got to spend some time working with the wrestlers and, um, and, uh, men and women's basketball as well. So great experience, a lot less responsibility, got to sort of, um, develop more relationships with the teams, got to travel with the team stuff. I didn't really get to do at William and Mary that much just because I had so much on my plate. Um, and that was a really cool experience, uh, you know, being at like a power five school and just seeing the resources they had. You know, it was nice uh, in terms of like being able to get things done, you know, whether it's equipment you need or continuing education, you know, the, the budget's there to make those things happen. So that was uh, that was great. Um, from there, I got an opportunity to be a head strength coach. So I went to Indiana State University and I was the director of strength conditioning there and spent uh, about two and a half years there as uh, the head strength conditioning coach. Had a great staff. I had two grad assistants and two interns. Um, and man, I think that wasn't a great job and it wasn't necessarily a great athletic department, but I was blessed with like the greatest grad assistants ever there. And they, they made it fun and they, um, uh, you know, they they were the perfect guys to have my first time being in charge and being a leader. And, um, just, I have a lot of really good memories from my time at Indiana state. Nice. Um, Nice. About that time, you know, I'm like, getting serious with my wife. Like we're like about to get engaged. We're like, what are we going to do career wise? She was um, a grad assistant soccer coach at Indiana state at the time. And we, we actually met at university of Iowa. She was a goalkeeper at the university of Iowa. Um, and so we were trying to figure out what we we're going to do uh, career wise. And I had interviewed for jobs at like Notre Dame, um, university of Illinois, Chicago. I thought like, Hey, you know, you're just going to follow me. And, and none of those jobs panned out. And then she got hired at Women Mary as the assistant women's soccer coach. So mm-hmm. I was like, what the hell? Let's do that. So we went to Williamsburg and Britta worked for John Daly for several years. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when Ben and I met because I was volunteering as the strength conditioning coach for just men and women's soccer. I've got a very close uh, relationship with uh, head men's coach Chris Norris. And uh, J- JD and I go go back, uh, have a good history together as well. So I was like, I'll just work with those two sports and we'll see what we can do. And it was a great time, man. We had some uh, really good years uh, during that stretch. Yeah. Um, yeah. But my, full, yeah. my full-time job during that time was uh, working in the private sector. And this was my first uh, experience working in the private sector. So I worked for a guy named Sasha Diggs, who's a physical therapist in Williamsburg. And he had like a PT clinic slash performance center. So I ran the performance side of the house and Sasha obviously was the owner and uh, the uh, head physical therapist there and learned just just a ridiculous amount about 
fixing broke people. Um, you know, it was not something that I had a lot of experience with, you know, in, in college, you kind of just rely on sports medicine to handle that. And they sort of guide you and advise you about how to get people, um, to return to play. But I mean, just being able to see Sasha interact and work with injured people and watch their progress and having that handoff from him say, all right, they're ready to work with you now. Um, it really allowed me to understand how to bridge the gap between taking someone who's sick or broken, injured, and getting them to be healthy and well and performing at a high level again. Mm-hmm. So learned a lot about like functional movement screen, how to assess, um, all that kind of stuff, um, how to progress and regress people based upon their, their limitations. Um, just really developed a, a good eye for things on the floor when you see people move and not being able to identify like compensations and deficiencies and things of that nature. So it was uh, um, just another great experience, you know, something that allowed me to become a better uh, professional overall. Um, But I knew that was not going to be long term for me. I wanted to get back into the college game. um, And I'd made some, you know, some good um, uh, relationships in the field. And I got an opportunity to go to the University of Washington. And I literally just gotten married. Uh, we were really enjoying our time in Williamsburg. And when I got the call from Washington, I was like, we got to take it. So went out to Washington and worked with football and a few Olympic sports. And uh, again, Power 5 school, Seattle, it's a cool spot to be. Mm-hmm. But when you don't win football games, people lose their jobs. And unfortunately, <laughs> strength conditioning coaches, that you know comes downhill on us as well. So mm-hmm. fortunately... When my time was done at Washington, Britta was still at Women Mary, and she had turned in her notice, but was still working out that notice. So um, I made it back just in time where she could say, "Never mind, I'm going to stay." So oh, okay, we okay. stayed. We stayed in Williamsburg, and at that time, I was frustrated. I didn't really know exactly what I was going to do. Uh, I knew that I didn't want to, you know, force her away from a situation that she really enjoyed. Um, so we decided to open up our own training facility and we started off with this tiny little 800 square foot space um, with you know the bare minimum amount of equipment Um, I had developed some relationships so I had like maybe five clients at the time and I was like let's just see where this goes the cool thing about being small is like you have very limited overhead like there's just not a lot of overhead so everything you make is like cash money for you Mm -hmm. which was awesome but you know I think having personalities as we do is former athletes, we want, you know, to see how big and how influential and what an impact we can make on our community. So over the next 10 years, I just kept continuing to try to make our facility grow and get bigger. Uh, we started dabbling in CrossFit a little bit. So we, we became affiliated. Um, we opened an affiliate within Mormon Muscle um, called CrossFit Williamsburg. So we were doing CrossFit classes. We had boot camp classes. We were doing a ton of personal training. Personal training got so big that it kind of turned into small group training um, and then we started doing teams. So we got contracts with a lot of the travel teams and high school teams. So, I mean, it was just like this big, huge operation that was going, you know, 14 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was fun. You know, it was, it was great to impact your community, watch kids that start with you when they're nine and 10 years old, graduate high school and go off to college. And just being able to see that range of development is something rare. in in what we do, you know, we, Occasionally get people for six weeks, maybe for like we get them for a year and then they go off and do other things. But to be with somebody through such a pivotal time of their development was a really cool experience. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, we, I got two small kids and knew that like, uh, I didn't want to work 14 hours a day the rest of my life. So we sold the, um, the business to, uh, Chris Haywood who owns the whisk where we were located. And, uh, I started, uh, deciding what my next venture was going to be. And, uh, I'd always had an interest in, uh, special operations and the tactical world. And I have some friends that work in this industry as well. And they said, man, it's a great, great, great way of life. You work with really good dudes. Um, compensation's good. Hours are great. Um, you should look into it. So it took me about a year to, to get a, um, an, an off, a job offer. But uh, um, yeah, last uh, December, I came to work for uh, the 2-1 STS here on, on uh, Fort Bragg. And um, I've been here for about seven months. So it's going great. All right. Man, that that's a lot. That's like that was a long little that's... rap sheet of experience. That's insane. <laughs> and I knew I'd known some of that from from our conversations in the past and just from what I've seen and, and followed of you. Um, but I think, you know, if you have anything to add to this, but like what makes you so unique is that you've seen so many sides of training. You've seen, you know, high level Miami football team, you've seen general population in Williamsburg you've seen maybe special needs stuff. Um, where do you think, like, where do you think the role of the strength coach changes as far as you change populations like that? And like, how have you changed as you deliver coaching to different populations? Yeah. So I think, uh, as a strength coach, like your skill set. um, you're bringing your skill set to the table, regardless of the population. I think one thing that's been beneficial about working with so many populations is it's allowed me to evolve and, and, and improve my ability to communicate my message to different populations. Mm-hmm. Um, you learn how to coach and how to deliver. Um, I think as young coaches, we tend to be a little bit more emotional and a, a little bit more uh, egotistical. And then as you get older, um, you develop this like just sense of like who you are as a professional. You know what, what you know and you know what you don't know. Um, so now, you know, I kind of feel to a point like whether I'm working with like, you know, a nine-year-old or a 90-year-old or, you know, an operator or a college football player, I'm going to find this commonality with them um, on a personal level. And, and then from there, you know, the, the process and how the, the programming comes about is the same regardless. I've got sort of eight principles that, that are constantly evolving. I may, they may change over time, but I've, I've narrowed it down to eight now that sort of help me um, help them. Um, but I think, you know, the biggest thing is just the delivery and, and what you're trying to do. You can't have the same approach um, with college athletes as you have with people in the general population. They just, Typically, the majority of them don't respond to that sort of um, uh, bedside manner. Um, some of them do, and some of them love it. But at the end of the day, I think even the college athlete or the professional athlete is evolving now, where like, you know, people want to be um, people. Well, obviously, people deserve to be treated with respect. But I think they're gonna. It's easier to to get people to do something that they don't want to do if you make them feel like it's their idea. And I think when you're young and you want to be taken seriously, you want people to listen to you and like, you know, respect you and, and identify you as the person in charge. And now it's kind of like, 
I almost play like, hey, man, I'm just here. I'm just a resource to help you get better. So use me however you want to use me. And, you know, through developing a relationship and trust, they end up doing what you want them to do anyway. Um, but mm-hmm. it's funny if you let them um, realize that it's their decision and not yours, they typically are much more compliant. So, yeah. That's funny. Yeah, that that whole um, that side of like tying the goal into everything of, you know, like, hey, what do you want out of this? I'm here to help you. Like, let's get it. I think that's important because I think that's shown up for me a lot in my coaching is like people aren't just going to do the things there. They want to know why they want to know the why behind everything. And so the clearer you can make that to them, the better. And then you, yeah. you give them some tools to experiment, figure out what works. And you're like, hey, look, that didn't work. Let's try something yeah. different because that wasn't working for you. Um, even yeah. if it was their idea, then they then you get the, the benefit of, hey, you're building trust because now you're giving them another answer. Sure. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side of the coin too, I think I have some people or I've had some people that I attempt to educate and they've I've realized along the way like they really don't care about the educational piece. They just want you to tell them what to do. So mm-hmm. I think if you approach it with a proactive side, like, well, I'm going to educate you throughout the process, then you sort of – figure out where that line is of like what they give a shit about and what they don't give a shit about. And ultimately like, why are they here? You know, like, what do they really need? Is it accountability? Is it education? Is it, you know, being pushed and challenged and having somebody like, uh, you know, in their ear constantly. I mean, you know, it's just part of the assessment tool, you know, and, and unfortunately that's the biggest part of it. I mean, like the, the X's and O's, the strength conditioning, the programming piece, that's the easiest part of it. It's really just, figuring out who you're working with, what their goals are, how serious they are about their goals, whether you're really there to push them and make them better, or if you're just there to like listen to them, you know, Mm -hmm. and incorporate some, some programming along the way. You know what I mean? (laughs) That's a, that's a funny way to put it, but I, yeah, right. How how, we're counselors a lot of times, you know, we're, we're listeners and you know, a lot of people entrust you with like a lot of personal information and, you know, I listen and then when they ask my opinion, I'll, I'll give it to them, you know, but um, mm-hmm. therapist is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, fo- I found that out early on in my career too. Like one of my first ever clients, like had a full, full breakdown. Like it was like almost our first client, first person I ever trained. And she just laid it all out there yeah. with the whole history. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like I remember and my stepmother, she's a therapist. So I called her after the session. I was like, I didn't know I was signing up. For that. <laughs> I didn't know this was coaching was bringing like I, I didn't think this was gonna be what I had to go through um, but like and then what I start to learn like you said as you develop and you go along is you end up kind of holding that space that, as a counselor because some people do want to be listened to so and you just apply that programming along the way to get them towards their goals but that's across all populations too I mean when I was a college mm-hmm. coach I had 300 pound defense alignment in my office crying because a girlfriend cheated on me you know, and they're mm. talking about that. And then, you know, you have the general population client who maybe somebody's having trouble with their marriage or maybe they're, you know, they have a kid, uh, their kid's misbehaving in school. And they, You're breaking you know, up a little bit, Dave. Hang on one second. Okay. Oh, yeah. All right. Looks Probably. look like it might be all right now. Give that a go again. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what I was saying is whether it, it's, a, you know, a college athlete who's, you know, telling you about his girlfriend cheating on him or, um, you know, a uh, a general population client talking to you about problems they're having with their kids or even here, you know, in the setting that I work in now, I mean, these guys talking to me about their careers, you know, and where they want to be and where they want to go and, you know, deployment and whatnot, like that element of counselor is constant, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And like, I think that's one of the most thing. That's one of the biggest things that I've learned is this element of communication and coaching is constantly evolving and, and improving. And that's the skill that it seems that I find myself working on all the time, probably even more so than the programming side is just learning about people and learning about, you know, the best way to approach things for that person or what kind of like what kind of stories they're telling themselves, that sort of stuff. Yeah, no doubt. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask, uh, Dave, what are those eight principles that you have? If you don't mind sharing with us. Yeah. So I posted this on Instagram, uh, I don't know, maybe like four or five months ago, but, um, I'll try to keep it simple so I don't get too long winded. Um, <laughs> the first one's consistency. I think consistency is the most important component of any training program. And what I tell my guys all the time, whether they're following my programming or something they found online, you know, the best programming out there is the one that you're following rather than bouncing around trying to do a million different other things, like pick something and just be consistent and stay with it. You know, one thing we talk about here is, is micro dosing, you know, whether it's speed and agility training, whether it's conditioning, whether it's, you know, heavy lifting, like expose your body to that with the minimal effective dose to see improvement, physical improvements. So I, I think consistency is more important than anything else. Um, the second one is capacity. So I talk about how like capacity is king and you can apply that to like speed. You can apply that to power, strength, whatever. Like you need to have capacity. If, if your job is to lift 500 pounds, like the more that you can lift 500 pounds repetitively is going to make you better at your job. Um, and the analogy I use is like a field goal kicker. Would you rather have a field goal kicker that can kick one out of 10 60 yard field goals or would you rather have someone who could kick, you know, seven out of 10, you know, 55 yard field goals? And they're like, oh, well, I'd rather have a guy that's seven out of 10 do it for 55 yards. So in terms of what we do in here, it's like, you know, you just need to have capacity to do not the maximal amount you can do, but like as close to that maximal as possible and identifying what that is. So, mm -hmm. um, so consistency and then capacity. Um, the third one is having a system being systematic in everything you do. Um, and I have what I call like a progression and regression scale that I use for all our movements. So let's say I bring somebody in day one, I'm like, all right, we're going to front squat. Um, and in teaching the front squat, I identify they have some sort of like limitation that prevents them from executing the movement. Um, not only with proficiency, but also it limits our ability to load them up. Well, then I might regress them to like a dumbbell goblet squat, right? Where I can load them up, and they can execute a movement that addresses some the similar needs of the front squat. Hey, hey Dave, you're, you're, you're breaking up on my end, Ben. I don't know if you're hearing that as well. Yeah, it's getting see. a little choppy. Okay. We're, we're yeah. relocating that one. Cool. All right. All right. Do you guys hear me now? Yep. We're better? Yep. Yeah, it sounds good. Yeah, the video is not coming through, but the uh, the sound, I think, is. So I think the last thing that we had really, really caught well was the the front-loaded squat. Um, oh, being systematic yeah. and having a progression and regression um, for every yes. movement. So the example I used was like the front squat. You know, if that's a movement that I'm introducing to a new athlete and identify they have some sort of like limitation or deficiency in executing that movement or 
they can do it, but they can, can't really load it up. I might regress them to like a dumbbell goblet squat so that we can use some load. We can get more of a training effect without having to jump through all these extra hoops to perform the front squat. So that's just an example of like a progression or regression that I might use for somebody. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think having a system in place is important. And you can do that by simply getting on a whiteboard or on an Excel spreadsheet and, you know, making a list of like some of your core movements, whether it's a plyometric, whether it's um, you know, a speed development movement or a strength training movement and have like a scalable version of each and then the way to make each movement more challenging. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, here we work on a, as a team, we have a resiliency team. So there's an athletic trainer, a physical therapist, a chaplain, a operational psychologist, a social worker, a flight doctor, physician oh. assistant. So we all work together. Um, to keep all these guys healthy. So for my pillar, the human performance side, we all have to be on the same page about like how to progress and regress athletes, whether it's in, um, you know, a clinical setting or out here on the training floor, um, we kind of all need to be on the same page. So we're speaking the same language. Cause a lot of times, you know, we'll, we'll work, you know, they'll spend 30 minutes with one of our team and then they'll come to me for 30 minutes. So having that system is super duper important. Mm -hmm. Um, another, uh, Another of our eight, uh, eight principles is, is simple. Just keeping things as simple as possible. Um, you know, there's nothing fancy or complicated or sexy about the way I program. And, you know, I study what everyone else is doing. And a lot of the stuff, like, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's so complicated that I don't see how I could implement um, some of these training modalities and programs with the population of people that I'm working with. And I'll just give you an example. Like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with like triphasic method. Um, Cal Dietz, uh, he's a strength and conditioning coach up at um, University of Minnesota. Like, he's kind of like the buzz right now with his triphasic stuff. And a lot of the strength coaches are using his stuff. But when you read it, it's like, it's some seriously complicated stuff. So um, for me, I'm the opposite. I try to keep things super simple where like I could basically take you and in, you know, a couple hours, you could understand like how we train and how we operate it. And you could immediately take over programming a session as well as coaching a session. Mm -hmm. um, so I think simple is, is super important. And it's important to remember that like simple is not the same thing as easy. It doesn't mean like what we do is easy by any means. It just means it's simple to understand. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's that's really important. Yeah, and um, I think yeah, you've, um, like in the past like with me too, like you, you've, you've done a good job of tying in easy and intense, like simple and intensity, not easy, simple and intensity. Yeah, And, you know, you make things simple, it allows people to express some of that intensity that you're looking for. And if, if that's your pillar number two, and you've, yeah. got, and you've got a 20 exercise list and you're asking them to be intense, it might not look that way. But right. if you give them three exercises, and this maybe is what brought you to, to CrossFit a lot, is like three exercises you can do really intensely. You can get a lot out of that. Right. Well, I mean, a lot of times our guys will be in, you know, um, you know, austere locations with limited equipment and they'll be like, all I have is a 50 pound dumbbell. Well, I mean, a lot of them can squat a lot more than 50 pounds, but like we can take a 50 pound goblet squat and we can add a tempo to it where they're doing like a three to five second descent and a three to five second pause and then a fast ascent. And man, they're getting a great training effect probably more of a training effect than they would if they had, you know, 225 on the bar, just squatting normally. So, mm -hmm. um, again, like having that system in place, just like, how can I make this more challenging with what my limitations are? So, right. 
Cool. Um, another principle is um, identifying limiting factors. And, I, and I, when I say that, I mean that like on an individual basis. So if I have somebody, they come to me, they tell me what they're training for. Like the first thing I have to do is like, what do you not do well? Like what is keeping you from being the soccer player you want to be or the, you know, tactical operator you want to be? And once we identify what those limiting factors are, we sort of know like the areas that we need to spend a lot of time addressing to make them um, take that next step into getting to getting better. Mm-hmm. Um, and tying along with those limiting factors, identifying limiting factors is reverse engineering results. So I think early in my career, I had this like training program first that I was trying to apply with like different athletes with this idea that like magic was going to happen. And at the other end of it, they're going to pop out and be a better soccer player. Right. What I've learned is like, you have to take the sport of soccer and even more so the position that individual plays and say, what are the needs of that? And then my program should look a lot like that. And when I say that, I don't mean anything like silly or gimmicky. I'm just saying like, you know, generally speaking, what are the the demands, whether it be metabolically or from a musculoskeletal standpoint of that position of that sport. And then the training program should really be focused on addressing that. And Mm -hmm. that's been really, I mean, it seems like obvious, right? Like that just makes sense, right? That's how we problem solve in general in life. But I think in sport, you just kind of have this idea or maybe this uh, herd mentality of like what training should look like. And you're trying to like throw all this stuff into a program and you realize like, ah, this person really doesn't need that. It's just not really appropriate for them. Um, mm-hmm. And and again, like, you know, some of the people I work with here are 22 and some of them are like 42 years old. So there are different points in their career. So when I'm trying to reverse engineer them, training programs are going to look completely different because you have one person that's still developing physically and another one that's probably just trying to hang on for a few more years without getting fucking hurt so that they can, you know, finish their career on a good note and not having this like lasting, um, uh, effect of the, of the, uh, stress of the job. So mm-hmm. reverse engineering ties heavily into that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that gets me to like six. Um, another one is, differentiating between improvement and optimization, right? When I say that, it's easy to make people better, right? You guys work with people every day and you implement things, you incorporate training programs and you see marked improvement. Optimization is improving and performing at the right time. So that's where timing really comes into this, you know, like, you know, for instance, we'll go back to soccer again, right? Like you play this, you have preseason. So there's a certain level of like fitness and resiliency you need to get through preseason. And then you get this long season ahead of you where, you know, you know, the tactical and skill based side of your sport is going to take precedence over your physical training, right? But you have to train at a certain uh, intensity level. So there were still maintaining and improving for some of our athletes that don't play that much um, to get them through the season. And then you got postseason. So you want to make sure that athletes are still performing at a high level at the end of the season when they need it the most rather than like week number one. So I think with some people, the goal is just improvement, right? That's easy to program for. Any of us could do that to make somebody better and improve. But then when you're trying to optimize someone's performance so that they're peaking and performing at the right time, that's where it gets tricky. And I think 
that's where you have to have good trust and good communication back and forth between the athlete and the coach, the programmer. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's where like, um, doing like questionnaires, readiness assessments on a daily basis with your athletes. So they're giving you feedback about how they're feeling. Um, it's going to make a huge difference in terms of making sure that they're optimized and performing, um, when they need to perform at, at their highest level. Gotcha. Did you end up, um, so that sounds very athlete specific and I'm sure that there's some element of that going on with like the gen pop that you worked with in Williamsburg where they they might be coming in year round, like week after week after week. Uh, and you're doing some sort of like periodizing or like changing the intensities of the program and whatnot, or, like the focus is, but how much of that optimization is coming in to play with some of the gen pop people that you're working with? It's tough. I mean, optimization is really tough with the general population just because of the limited amount of time you have with them mm-hmm. and all the other factors going on in their lives. You know, like if I knew that I was going to get them four days a week, every week, then it would be much easier to program for optimization. But I feel like with a lot of the general population, it's like, man, let's just focus on improvement and, you know, hopefully they'll show up four days this week. Mm-hmm. Because like if you... What I found is like trying to plan a rest day with the general population is hard because they're going to take rest days when you don't want them to, right? Yeah. So weeks. A lot, of, a lot of times I wouldn't even program rest or, or recovery days because I know something's going to pop up and they're going to have to cancel and not come in. So they're going to sort of dictate that on their own. Mm-hmm. In college, it's a little bit different because you have more control over the people's schedule. It's easier to plan for those recovery days. It's easier to communicate with sports medicine and the sport coach be like, hey, I think we need to give these guys just a, a regen day so they can, you know, let the nervous system recover, let the skeletal muscle uh, recover, do some soft tissue work and be ready to rock and roll the next day. So that setting is a lot. But again, here where I'm at now, these guys schedule is crazy. I mean, they're, they're gone so much on just different training missions and stuff. And um, you know, I might get them for three weeks and then they might be gone for a week or they might be gone for two weeks. So, I'm still learning what their calendar looks like and next year I'll be much better programmer for them than I was this year because I'm still learning like kind of what their calendar looks like. Mm-hmm. Different guys have, you know, different jobs too. So their training looks a little bit different. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I was going to say it. Go ahead, D. Well, just on that note there, it's so awesome to hear just because of like your past experience and how much experience you have being a coach and then even now in this new venture, how they're still like, I, that's what I just love about being a coach, just all this learning that you can still do, even in a new sector, since you haven't been in this space before working with um, special ops, or who, who is it that you're currently working with? I'm sorry. Um, I work with the special operations unit. All right, that was right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, special ops um, in taking this like, okay, now I have to figure this out, you know? So like next year, I'm gonna be better than this previous year. Like, yeah, just. I'll be, I'll be honest with you. you know, I mean, I think that's what appealed to me about it because, you know, I'm going to be 42 next month and here I am 42 and I'm getting to learn something brand new and apply my skill set. But in a, I have to be humbled in a sense of like, I don't know this field. I don't know everything that these guys do. So I ask a lot of questions. I listen a lot and I talk a lot less. So that's, uh, that's, uh, it's exciting. I mean, I go home every day. I'm like, man, that was cool shit that I got to see that or got to, you know, have that dialogue with that guy about some of the things he's done. It's, it's really, really interesting. And every day I learn something new. So that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, I'm going to let you finish on the, 
eight things and I have some questions, but like, I think I looked up your posts, but I, your last one was, I think longevity. Longevity. Yes. Yeah. So, um, so longevity, I mean, the way I look at this is like our goal, regardless of what we're doing is to have the best quality of life we can. Right. And as we get older, we know things break down and wear out and whatnot. And, you know, my training has changed drastically over the past five years just because I've gotten to a point where like things have started to wear out and break down a little bit. So I think mm -hmm. as programmers and as coaches, we have to keep that in mind that like our responsibility to these athletes are not just the four years in which they're playing college soccer, but it's also, you know, the next four years when they get married or have their first kid, you know, like giving them resources and ways where they can be healthy and stay active and still satisfy that need that they have. It's funny. I was listening to a, um, to, uh, this guy, Nick Hardwick on a podcast the other day. And he was talking about like, as football players, we all have this little monster inside of us. Right. And this monster has to be like satisfied on a daily basis. So like when you're a kid, your parents identify that you're a little different. So they like, put you in all these like physically active, like violent sports. So you can kind of get that out of your system, but then you become like a pro football player. And it's like, you get the monster out in the weight room, you get the monster out in practice, you get your monster out on game day, but then you retire. And then what do you do? You know? And unfortunately a lot of guys get into like drugs and alcohol, things like that, beat their wives. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, so he was saying that like, that's where fitness comes in. That's where, you know, strength conditioning comes in. It allows us this opportunity to get that monster out of us or satisfy that monster so that we can live a healthy life. And so for me, longevity is like, I still need to do things that, that satisfy that monster in me, but recognizing that like, I'm getting fucking old, you know? And, uh, um, I, I want to be healthy and capable and, um, uh, you know, just an inspiration for my kids as they get older too. Or like, you know, my, my dad's older, but man, he's, he's still fit. He can still get after it, you know? So I think for me, when I'm dealing with these guys, it's like, I remind that constantly, you know I mean? The minimal effective dose to move the needle. That's what we're after. We're not in here trying to like kill ourselves. We're not trying to cripple ourselves. We're not trying to do anything that's going to prevent us from being able to train tomorrow. Like, you know, mm -hmm. feed the monster, but at the same time, minimal effective dose to, to make you live a long, healthy life. Yeah. And relate that back to the number, number one principle, the consistency. Like if you can't, if you're going so hard, you can't walk tomorrow, the next day. Like, yeah, soreness feels great to people like us who who love and relish that feeling of like we worked hard and we did something. But if you can't if you can't walk in three days, then you didn't. You're doing something wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt, man, mm -hmm. no doubt. It's, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think th those principles for me at this point in my career like just make sense. They, they give me a roadmap to sort of guide myself when I'm working with any population or any individual, or even when I'm having that initial conversation with them about like. You know, what are you training for? What do you want to achieve? You know, I kind of keep those things at the forefront of um, my planning. Gotcha. Yeah, and that's a good tie into my next question, which is just really about coaching um, and like how some people when they when if they don't know what coaching is, maybe they didn't come up with like an athletic background or any kind of, you know, even even like therapy or somebody guiding them through anything like they might think I'm going to hire a coach or a personal trainer or start this program with like a, a, you know, whatever, a facility or group class or whatever, never had a coach before. 
what's the value for them in the like what's the learning curve to becoming you know being someone who is coachable or someone who's getting value from a coach and like what is the what is a coach basically to you yeah um that is a great question because a lot of people are very very uncomfortable being coached because they're not comfortable being critiqued you know they're sensitive about criticism or, or what have you so i think to be an effective coach, you sort of have to develop um, some trust at first. And I think trust can be developed by taking a genuine interest in the other person. Um, so asking them questions about their life, what their goals are, what they do, their kids, this, that, and the other, um, sort of gets them to the point where they trust you so that when you have to be um, corrective or critical, they don't you know, clam up and get super defensive. Um, and I think just reminding, reminding them that like, again, you're a resource, you're just there to help them get better. So any and all feedback or criticism you give them is intended to help them get to where they want to be. Um, so I think a coach is, is a friend. It's someone that you can trust, that you can confide in, that um, I think there needs to be a collective responsibility between the coach and the athlete to where not only is it my job, to give you feedback, but I need you to give me feedback. You know, if I'm, if I'm coaching you or programming for you in a way that like doesn't meet your needs or makes you feel a certain way, I need to know that so that I can alter and modify my approach to ultimately give you the experience that you're after, right? Cause everyone's, you know, every, what everyone's after from an ex experience is different, but I think that's where that feedback is super important. And, you know, with all my online coaching clients, I tell them, I'm like, please send me feedback. Like if I program something for you and you hate it, just tell me, you're not going to hurt my feelings, man. I've been doing this for so long. Like I just need to know where your headspace is so that I can give you what it is you're looking for. And if mm -hmm. what you're looking for isn't really what you need, then at some point I need you to be comfortable with me telling you that like, Hey, I see a pattern in what you like to do, but ultimately it's not going to get you to where you want to be because you're not wanting to do these X, Y, and Z. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I've got some guys here that are, you know, really big into powerlifting and, you know, they've sort of plateaued in their development and I'm identifying like why that's happening and I'm trying to modify their program and they hate it. They just, they hate doing the things I'm asking them to do. And I'm telling them like, well, we can go back to what you were doing, but you're indicated to me that that wasn't getting you the results you wanted. So I'm trying to, to incorporate some things that will get you, get you through those training plateaus. So. Yeah, man. And I think that's like, that's probably the hard part. And the most important part is like just that conversation of you said this, like you said, you wanted this, this isn't working for you. What is going to work for you? This is my idea. Do you want to try it? Or did you come up with the idea and you want to try it, see if it works? Yeah. And, and those guys are like, I don't like it, but you're like, it's going to work. Right. Right. <laughs> and I think trying to remove the ego, um, from your side as a coach makes everything so much easier because you're going to deal with people with egos because egos typically come along with insecurity, you know, like somebody's insecure about something. So they build up this, this false sense of self, um, this ego to sort of stand in front of the, the little person that, that is truly the representation of them. Um, and so if I can remove my ego and they can feel comfortable to be who they really are, then we can really make progress and, and get to where we need to be. And I look back like on myself as a young coach, I mean, I had this massive ego 
And all it was was this this thing that I created to cover up like all these insecurities I had about like what I didn't know, my lack of experience, my age, my lack of knowledge about the sport. Whereas now I'm to the point now where I'm like, hey, I really don't know much about what you do. Can you teach me a little bit about what you do so that I can be a better programmer? And guys are like, yeah, that's great, man. You know, come out and watch us train, you know? So I sit mm-hmm. there and ask questions and they, they really appreciate that. And so then when I tell them things to do in here, they're like, that, that makes perfect sense. So that's awesome. Yeah. I think the biggest thing you said there is just building up that trust um, for both the coach and the client. Like yeah. if you want, if the client, if you want to be a better coach, you have to get trust from your clients and same thing for the client. If you want them to be more coachable, they have to trust you, you know, so it's on both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once they know what your your intentions are in in their best interest or your intentions are honorable, then they'll pretty much do whatever you you ask of them. Mm -hmm. I got to share like my first memories of you, Dave. Um, I remember we had our, we had a team meeting where you went over expectations and we had this packet. I think it was like three or four pages long. Yeah. 21 bullet points. Uh, you know, there was swagger in there a couple of times and, and it was very clear with, um, with your presentation, what you were trying to get us to. Yeah. Um, and you know, basically, you know, for a bunch of kids who never really had like a strong weight room presence before, I mean, this is my, this was my third year in college and we'd had two strength coaches, but I didn't have anything before college and, um, nothing quite as intense or um, like structured as what you gave us. But you go through that, you go through that packet and we, we kind of like understand where you're coming from. We saw your personality. Um, we saw what you were going to bring. And then Dave was like, you guys have to be in the weight room, uh, you know, 10 minutes before 6 o'clock a.m. when we were like starting the session to get your warm up done. And the captains are going to run the warm up. And I remember we're all like, you know, it's 550 and we're all like college kids and we're like stumbling down the hallway half asleep. And he comes out of the way and he goes, what's up, mother truckers? (laughs) (laughs) And we were like, oh, it's about to get real. And every session was like intense. And if uh, if ever there was like a moment where somebody was was not pushing the pushing like the pedal or trying, you gave you let them know a little bit, you know, and depending on the on the individual in the in the group, I think, too you kind of knew where to push. Right. Remember there was, there was one, one time somebody was doing some pull-ups and Dave was like, I don't, I don't believe you right now. Like, I don't believe you. And we were like, Oh my God, what did Dave say? <laughs> and we we're like, yeah, but he didn't, but he was like, I knew that kid had more in him. And so he pushed him. And that was like right. really one of my, I, I'd had a coach in soccer who did something similar, but not in the weight room. And then, you know, that, that is a huge area of another touching point, for people to improve like mentality and mindset, especially for athletes. And I saw a while ago, David, you posted something about the role of the strength coach in successful football programs and just how much time coaches get in the weight room with the athletes and with the team and how effective that can be in terms of building, you know, building team, like teamsmanship or sport or um, like camaraderie and, you know, effective, like working together stuff. Yeah. Well, you guys watched The Last Dance, right? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't. Seen I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Me and Bill, I got. We know. We know. <laughs> Your homework is watch The Last Dance. <laughs> but long story short, in The Last Dance, you know, 
you get to Michael Jordan is portrayed in a light that I'd never really seen before. I knew he was like the greatest basketball player of all time, arguably, but people talked about like how difficult of a teammate he was because he had such high expectations, not only for himself, but for the guys on the team. So at times he sort of alienated himself or I don't know. He was kind of separated from the team just because people knew like that he was going to call them out and it was going to hold them to a higher standard. But ultimately that's what made him great. And in the movie or in the, in the series, he's almost like in tears and he's explaining is like, if you don't have that approach to your sport, then then why, you shouldn't be playing the game. And he, you could tell he was frustrated because people just didn't understand the way he thought. I'm not comparing myself to Michael Jordan by any means, but like every day that I step into the gym, I feel like I have this opportunity to like help people grow and, and not only like physically, but like in terms of a mindset and adapt, like just good routines and good patterns that are going to help them the rest of their lives. So for me, like, you know, when you're saying when I came into the weight room, I was, you know, full of energy and like, you know, getting in guys grill and whatnot. I think it was just because I had this passion for, you know, tribe soccer. And I, you know, I love Chris Norris and I just, I, I wanted to impact the team in whatever way I could in the role that I had, you know, like, cause when game day comes, like, you know, I'm, I'm in the stands watching, you know, like when you guys are playing, but my hope is that like some aspect of our experience, whether it's the training aspect or just the, you know, the camaraderie or the mental preparation would, you know, expose itself in the game setting, you know, and I think that's what every strength strength conditioning coach wants to be. Like I never had interest in being like the smartest, most intellectual or well-researched strength coach in the world. I just want to be the best that I can be for my guys or my girls, you know, in a sense of giving them what they need to be the, to be their best. So um, hopefully that's what, what most strength coaches are up to. Although I will say like uh, the industry is definitely changing, you know, I mean, there's a lot of really, really, really intelligent young coaches out right now. Like I read what I really what right now, really intelligent young coaches that are out there right now. Hmm. And I follow a lot of them on social media and I'll be honest with you, half the shit that they post about, like I have to like look it up. I don't even know what they're talking about, you know? (laughs) So I think you're getting super, super educated well-read young coaches, but I don't see as much of the personal relationship side of it. You know, it's more about like, Oh, well, this guy is an idiot because he's having his athletes do this. This is the way you need to be trained. This is the right way you need to train. Mm-hmm. So I don't know that I love the, the trend that I'm seeing in regards to that. But, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the older coaches are, are more about, you know, developing relationships and, and, and pushing athletes and whatnot with simple but sound training programs. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see, like, just the way, with the way everything's changing in, in college athletics and professional athletics and society in general, like, how things go from here. Yeah, man. I, I, see, I see what you're speaking of, though, as well. Um, just because I think right now, with, like, we always go through these trends of things. And obviously what we – 
focus on in our programs, it does come from a science-based aspect. But yeah, the emotional part, the pieces that you're speaking of as a coach that gets that person to rely on you, you know, that's something it's not really based on science. I mean, it, it can't be, I guess, if we broke it down. But a lot of these coaches, I think they're pushing since since that's since um, social media is trending and there's so much going on in that in the wellness space and there is a bunch of crap, there's this push of like, oh, well, this is what, you know, scientifically works the best. And there, so it's so, I think like you're saying, it's so much of that that you're not seeing like the personal aspect yeah. of like the coaching and stuff like that. They're just pushing all the data. Yeah. And it's like, and they're honestly, a lot of these guys are mocking and, and making fun of, some of the older coaches that are still like rah-rah guys. Yeah. And I mean, like, I think there are some, some coaches out there that take the rah-rah stuff to the extreme, but I still think at the same time, like you have to create an environment where athletes are excited to come to the gym every day. And not only do they want to come to the gym every day, they don't want to leave when it's over. They're hanging out afterwards. Cause they're just like, this is a fun, cool space for me to be in. And you know, our guys here refer to, our, our performance facility is church. They're like, this is our church. You know, this is our place to get away and like relax. And so I really love that they look at it this way. And my goal is just, I don't want to fuck that up. I want to make it where it's a place they still feel comfortable and want to come in and, and just, just unload a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, yeah, what's so valuable for me about this conversation and just like hearing other perspectives is that it feels like a push towards knowing everything and knowing all this. And then you're on this end of being like, look, man, like this stuff works. Sim like simple stuff has been working forever, still works. And you don't have to get all fancy. You don't have to do all this like science-based research. You still have to get the best out of people because it's a people business in the end. And it really is. I mean, um, and again, if you're, if you're really focused on reverse engineering results I and you know you're biggest limiting factor as a coach is going to probably be the time that you have with people. This, the simpler you can make your program, theoretically, the better results you're going to get. Cause if it's super complex and it's a bunch of stuff that's difficult to teach, then that's going to take up a lot of time in terms that you necessarily don't have with, with your athletes. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm, I think that's why simple is such a big uh, pillar principle of, of what I think is important as, as a coach and a programmer. Yeah. Are, uh, are you writing a book anytime soon, Dave? <laughs> I tell you what, there's a lot of things I want to do. Maybe when my kids uh, are a little bit older and they get to a point where like, they're not constantly sitting in my lap or saying, Hey dad, Hey dad, Hey dad, play hide and seek with me. Um, yeah. Once, once I get a little bit more free time, there's a lot of things I want to do, but yeah, I think writing a book would be great. And I don't even know if I would write a book about um, training or coaching yeah. Yeah. Is I would about, um, like how to be a man, you know what I mean? Like masculinity, like what masculinity really looks like. That's something that I really think I would be more interested in writing a book about because man, growing up, I was so far off the mark and what I thought like being a man was about, you know I mean? Like when I grew up, it was like, how much can you drink? How many girls can you sleep with? And how much money do you have in your pocket? Like that's what made you a man. You know, and what I've learned over the years from being married and having kids is like, that is nothing to do with what being a man is really about. So I think that's something I'd like to research a little bit more and, and potentially write a book about like 
and hopefully like relate some of my life experiences to that. Dude, that'd be an awesome podcast episode too. <laughs> I know. I want to oh, ask. I want to ask more about that. it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, another, that's a whole another thing, man. <laughs> it, and again, that's something else that like was an aha moment um, when I was listening to somebody else's podcast. I think I was listening to Fifty Cent. Fifty Cent was on Dak Shepard's podcast, and hmm. he was talking about that, like just about this. Uh, what may was it Fifty Cent? I think it was Fifty Cent. Yeah, I think it was Fifty Cent. Anyways, and so he was just saying like how misguided he was growing up about what he thought being a man was and just how he's learned differently. So it started really making me think about it. I was like, damn, I, I thought the same thing when I was growing up, you know? Mm. Damn. That's crazy. Yeah. But, uh -oh. I mean, that's cool to hear from that, that you would rather write about that than coaching. There's a lot of coaching books out there. There's only so much you can write on coaching. I feel like that. You know? Yeah. So mm – -hmm. I think that position it helps and you can tie in some of the coaching too because that's a part of you know your probably how you found out these things again marriage through marriage and stuff but also i'm sure you can relate it to being a coach and the athletes and stuff like that that you've seen just the social uh, interactions that we have correct. on a daily basis as coaches i mean like every one of those is an opportunity opportunity to learn something about people in general but not only people in general but but about ourselves you know because it's like a lot of times people will say something to me and it's like Damn, it's like holding a mirror right in front of your face and you're like, man, that's me, you know, like mm -hmm. I'm exactly what they're talking about. So, yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, I think we should maybe maybe wrap it up. Uh, Dave, is there anything that you wanted to like promote anything you're working on that you want people to know about um, or anything like that or any like awareness stuff you wanted to bring up? Anything like that? Um, just a couple things. Uh, I've got, you know, I, I'm. Part of my side hustle is online coaching and programming. So if there's anybody out there looking for uh, a coach that, you know, has a, a good platform. I, I use Train Heroic to do all my online programming. It's something you can get right to your cell phone every day. Um, and again, it's, it's a real-time experience. We can interact on a daily basis and, you know, I can modify your programming towards what's going on in your life, whether you're in, in town, out of town, whatever. Um, yeah, you can, you can contact me or reach me on social media. Uh, at Marmon, uh, excuse me, at Coach Marmon on Instagram and uh, and on Twitter at Twitter is at Marmon Muscle, um, and cool. we can talk about programming there. Also, um, a charity, um, a nonprofit organization that my family and I are big supporters of is called Child Development Resources CDR. Hmm. They're located in Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, my daughter Maddox uh, went through their program when she was very young. And we still do a lot to support them. They're currently hosting a mud puddle challenge. And it's sort of like the, the water bucket challenge where, you know, you, you jump in a mud puddle, you take a video yourself, you post it on social media, and then you challenge other people. But you can go to their, um, they have a website and you can sign up, form a team, make a donation. Um, but the idea is just to get out and spread it out to as many people as they can. And people can go on the website and make a donation. But my family and I started a team, Team Marmon Muscle, and we're trying to raise $5,000 for CDR. And I think right now we're just a little bit over $2,000, so almost halfway. So if you would want to get involved with that, you can check it out, Child Development Resources on Instagram and, and learn more about that. Awesome. Yeah, man. That's awesome. Yep. All right. Well, um, Dave, thanks so much for uh, hopping on, man. I know, you're, I know you're probably a busy guy, and we really, really appreciate it. And we learned a lot. I hope that our listeners also learned a lot too. And um, 
yeah thank you hey thank yeah, you it was guys. i had a blast man it was a good time anytime just uh shoot me a message and we'll do it again sounds good for sure all right take care guys do the same